Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things the English football pyramid. <clears throat> Today's episode will reflect on how teams finished up in 2023 with Liverpool, Leicester, Portsmouth and Stockport top of their leagues. We'll discuss some of the big transfer stories and manager changes in the headlines. We'll have a look ahead at some of the weekend fixtures in the EFL and FA Cup. We'll finish up with Laura, who talks for our Yeovil affair over the festive period. I'm your host, Alex Murphy, and once again, I'm joined by Tom Gallagher and Tom Lawrence. Firstly, Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Hope you've all missed us. Uh, good to be back. Tomo, we'll start with the league leaders, uh, Liverpool. So since we were last on the airwaves, Arsenal drew with them, but have beaten Burnley and Newcastle. I think had the highest XG in a Prem game uh, since they XG started against Newcastle and looking pretty good at the top. Yes, and throughout the whole of the sort of duration of the season, we've spoke about Liverpool as maybe dark horses for the league title, going about their business quietly. Um, but I think it's fair to say now that they are... Well, look, I wouldn't put them as joint favourites with City, um, but after a performance like they did against Newcastle, and I know, caveat this, with Newcastle were struggling at the minute um, in a bit of bad, bad form, but it was a great game of football. They absolutely battered them. And like you say, the XG was seven plus or whatever, which is a record in the Premier League. Um, and yeah, the the one thing I will say is obviously Salah was the shining light as always for the, in that Liverpool attack. Um, he's going off to the African Cup of Nations now. And I know depends how long Egypt are in the competition for, which depends on how many games he misses. And I actually think he... Even if he goes all the way, he'll only miss four Premier League games. But look, he's he's been the best player in the Premier League this season. So any club who would be without the best player in the Premier League will miss him. And it'll be interesting to see the likes of Gakpo and Jota and Diaz and Nunes, whether they can step up in his place. They definitely have got the talent for it, but they haven't shown the consistency in their numbers Um to be able to match a Salah's of this world, but then to be fair, not many people do. But look, you can never rule out Liverpool in a title race just because of the clock factor. I did think maybe they might be one or two players short this season, especially maybe in midfield with the whole rebuild that they had. But they've been brilliant lately and um wouldn't put them up there with City. I actually think this Christmas period... Obviously, especially with City going to the Club World Cup and missing a couple of games, um, I think it's reinforced my uh, my thoughts that City going to win the league. Especially with Arsenal dropping so many points, I just think actually City have come come out of the Christmas period really well, um, and now they've got Haaland and Kevin De Bruyne to come back. But yeah, look, Liverpool um, have been very impressive as well and deserve to be top of the Premier League. Yeah, indeed. Um. Laurie, looking ahead to the January transfer window, if you were a Liverpool fan from from what you've watched of them, uh, if there was a position for them that you think they would look to strengthen, is there any sort of areas you think that they'd target? I'd say left-back only because of injuries. I think Robertson and Simakas are both out for periods of time. If you had asked me at the start of the season, I thought they'd have been crying out for a central midfielder come January, but I think they've been so impressive the way that Klopp's utilised the sort of selection of five or six centre midfielders he's got, none of them are really standout names. I know they spent a lot of money on McAllister, but even the likes of 
you know, sort of um, under the radar players like Gravenberch and Endo, I think has been a really good signing. Like almost took the piss out of him at the start of the season, didn't we? Sort of saying Endo, end of. Well, we've got eggs on our faces there because they're three points clear at the top of the Prem and it's January the 4th. Um, and that kind of, um, like I said, under the radar midfield is a bit of a trait of Jurgen Klopp and it's how he built the sort of 2018-19 team that won the Champions League in the and the Premier League and they've been so impressive and going forward they've got a, an abundance of players that is sort of spearheaded by Mohamed Salah who's just gone on strength to strength over the last seven, eight, nine years in the Premier League and like Tegel says continues to impress and he is it's so in danger of being criminally underrated in this country and he is one of the best players we have ever seen and make no mistake Klopp's you know managed I think brilliantly this year that squad of players that you've got and Liverpool deserve a lot of credit but they're there because of Salah um he just he's the difference between them and their opposition in all of the tight games and the reason they're top of the league and one of the favorites for the league as well um so it in in answer to what you said, uh, asked, I don't think there's a lot wrong with Liverpool at the moment. If you ask their fans, I would imagine they tell you they could do with a left back at the moment. Yeah, yeah, good point. Robertson been out for a long time. Any and Simicast doing his shoulder um, probably would be an area of strength. For Just quickly, those fixtures. Obviously, spoke about the importance of Salah. Their next fixtures, they've got Arsenal away in the FA Cup. They've got uh, Bournemouth away, which obviously is not a uh, an easy fixture these days. Either side uh, of that is the EFL Cup semi-final games against Fulham. Uh, and then on the 31st of January, they've got Chelsea at home before going away to Arsenal. So a couple of tricky looking fixtures there. But um, I imagine Liverpool fans will be hoping that Egypt don't do too well there and they get Salah back. But I think this uh, kind of hybrid winter break that they're doing in the Premier League is going to aid the clubs with the uh, AFCON and Asia Cup players. Yeah, they do go to Arsenal on the 4th. Um, and I think AFCON maybe finishes the week after that. So if Egypt do well, then that might be a bit of a problem for Liverpool because they're not going to want to go to the Emirates without Mo Salah, are they? But as we've alluded to, I think the likes of Nunes, Diaz, Gakpo, Diogo Jota's coming back and starting to pick up some form now as well, should navigate them through the likes of, you know, your Bournemouths and maybe a more mediocre Premier League games in the interim. So, um, yeah, I think how far Egypt go is probably a big one there. Just a quick one as well, actually, because I think in this country we do kind of criminally underrate the importance of AFCON to these players and it's not just how far Egypt go but especially when you look at the like the Salahs of this world say for instance if Egypt get into the semis and they lose and he say misses a penalty or something silly it's it takes a lot to get over that disappointment and it might take him even though he comes straight back into the team obviously it might take him a couple of weeks just to get going again just to get that disappointment yeah. out of his legs. If you, if you remember rightly, I think after the Euro defeat, um, England to Italy, Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw almost hard, hardly haven't really recovered. Maybe the last six months they have, but they had really poor seasons after that. And it and it feels like sometimes that can happen because it, it is such a big disappointment when you don't um, get over the line in, in an international tournament. So that will be interesting to see... Um, Mostly in Salah, just because of his importance to Liverpool, but obviously with all the other players as well. Yeah, good point, Tom. That is a good point. I don't really think about 
about that. And I think you're probably right in the UK, it's a bit underrated as a, or not appreciated as a tournament. Um, and you kind of think that the players almost just want to get back to the Prem, but they're not going to, are they? It's equivalent of being in the Euros and representing your country. So, yeah, it will be big for him. Um, it looks like the final is the 11th of uh, February, if they get that far. And they uh, have got a game against, they've got Burnley away on the 10th. So I think that's the, the last game that he could miss. But as you say, the fallout afterwards or any injuries that get picked up away on international duty um that that will obviously have a greater effect boys we move on to the team in second place and Loro, we got villa sat there currently their form a little more patchy um they won at burnley albeit needed a late dougie louise penalty they're obviously tuning up at united went on to lose that game 3-2 they had an unexpected draw with sheffield united before that do you think they're just starting to run out of a little bit of steam um they've obviously got the thursday night competition that they're in as well and maybe starting to see they maybe don't have the squad depth of some of the other sides I don't think it's squad depth. I think they've got good squad depth. I think they've got, they're suffering from a little bit of vertigo. And I've alluded to this a couple of times. Um, I just think they're sort of getting a bit dizzy in the heights and they're sort of thinking, we're Villa. We can't be up there. I think it's a belief thing. How can you, we said this, I think it was the last podcast. We said they'd won 14 or 15 in a row at home. And their next game at home was against Sheffield United, who are bottom of the league, can't win a game. And we all said... Sheffield United are probably going to get something there. That's football. And it happened. And it happened with a random result away at Bournemouth. They lost away at Nottingham Forest. It seems to be the games that they should win are the ones that are chipping points off of their tally, which if they hadn't, they'd be top of the league. And that's the difference between the elite sides with the elite mentality that are going for the title and a side that find themselves in a peculiar height of position like Aston Villa do. And are probably suffering from that a little bit. So it's all right having Arsenal and City at home back-to-back, getting right up for it and winning. You have absolutely got to go and back that up then by beating the so-called smaller teams or easier teams, albeit there's no easy games in the Premier League. And drawing to Sheffield United at home, um, scraping past Burnley, good result in the end. They got the three points, but they really need to just recalibrate a little bit, realise they're in it, and go again, because Aston Villa are right there. And like we've said before, it's not a two-horse race this season. It's not um, one of two teams. When there's four, everyone can take points off of each other and affect everyone else's title race. And that can help someone like Villa come out of the pack. And they're in it. They're above Arsenal. I think they're still above Man City, aren't they? So, albeit City might have a game in hand. Let's go for it, Aston Villa. A little bit more belief and start putting away the teams that you should, because you're doing everything right against the the so-called bigger teams and in the harder games. So, full credit to Unai Emery. I mean, I don't know why I'm being so negative about Aston Villa when they're second in the league in January, but it's just a little bit frustrating because you know that they've got it in them. If they're there at this stage of the season, where everyone's pretty much played each other, there's no reason to say they can't be there at the end of the year or even higher. Yeah, and also those sort of Thursday night games have paused now for a bit. Um, we've obviously got the um, winter breaks I've alluded to. They've got Middlesbrough away in the FA Cup, and they've only actually got two Prem games in January. They've got Everton away and Newcastle home, neither of which are easy games, but at the same time, they got a bit more prep time for those games, give some of those players who've played a lot of fixtures already a bit of a time to rest. But yeah, I'm sure if you said to a Villa fan that on the 4th of January, you'd be sat second in the table and through in the uh, European competition, they'd have snapped your hands off. Tomo, third place Man City, um, obviously went away, won the Club World Cup uh, since since we've um, 
been away beating Everton and Sheffield United as you'd expect but probably more importantly looks like they're getting closer to having Haaland back and KDB's now starting to be back as well are you uh expecting to see the normal City second half of the season just go on a run of games and and catch Liverpool up and and go to the top yeah, that, that's what I'm worried about. <clears throat> like you just said, De Bruyne is on his way back. Haaland's back in training. Jeremy Doku, arguably their most exciting attacker this season, is now back in training. Um, and in the meantime, like you just said, they've won the Club World Cup. Okay, okay, we all expected that to happen. But when they were 1-0 down, I think it was at half-time to Everton, you just thought maybe sort of the fixture pile up and the expectations, the pressure. They were struggling last month as well. Um, you thought maybe they might, the blip might continue, but they've, they turned that one around with ease. And obviously they, they battered Sheffield United, really. It was the most comfortable 2-0 win ever. But, um, and I think I captained Julian Alvarez, so I couldn't believe he only got one goal. Um, but yeah, look, it is worrying. And that's it, that, to your question, I am worried about that, really. I do think this Christmas period, albeit I know Liverpool are top of the league, I do think it has been kindest to Man City just because with all their players coming back, they are still within touching distance and a game in hand. And it's, it is scary, but that's City for you. They're just always going to be there or thereabouts. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Laurie, similar question to the Liverpool one. Uh, obviously, you got Haaland coming back in, KDB coming back in, Docker, as Tomo rightly says. But if you're a City fan, any kind of particular position you'd like Pep to go out and strengthen if he could? Well, I think the return of KDB and Haaland, although I hate to say it, might end up, might well be enough. But I've said all season, I think they've they've missed a Gundogan type of player. Um, and they've probably already navigated the, the sector of the season where they really needed him. Um, a player that can outside of KDB and Haaland or back in time outside of Yaya Torre and um, Aguero, that player that can just come out of the pack and do something when they're not on it. Like last season when um, you needed they needed to win the FA Cup final against United, it was Gundogan that popped up. He always popped up with those little goals. And he was also a really experienced head in midfield that could do a bit of everything. And I think we've spoke about Kovacic before. He maybe was the one signing they made in the summer with that kind of position in mind. He just doesn't have the same output. So if I was them, I don't know who to suggest, but I would probably want one of those midfielders that can just add a little bit extra in terms of the match winning department, as difficult as that is. Um, and I know that's not an easy recruitment to, to get right. And, you know, Gundogan doesn't grow on trees, but that's the thing that I think they've really missed. Um, they're not quite as good at the back this season. They're conceding more goals, but I think that's largely to do with the setup of the team and the way that Pep's decided to play. But um, they are looking a little bit ominous sat there in third now with a game in hand, I think. And I agree with Tegel. They've come out of the festive period quite handily, really. Yeah, you're, you're right, actually. They signed Kovacic, didn't they? They signed Nunes from Wolves. Obviously, KP maybe wouldn't be signed for that. Uh, Gundogan role was more kind of alongside Rodri in that holding position. But a few ones that haven't worked out there. So um, they're all obviously been from the Prem. I wonder if Pep will go and do where he just pulls a midfielder from like Valencia or Bilbao or something like that, come in and they're absolutely electric. But Tommy? They're, they're close to completing the signing of this 18-year-old Argentinian um, attacking midfielder, Claudio Atraveri. He's obviously plays um, in the Argentinian youth setup and he looks unbelievable. He's basically the next sort of 
big thing. So um, that one looks like it's going to be done in January. Doesn't look like that will be one for this season at all. Um, and to be honest, after signing Nunes and Kovacic in the summer, um, you don't really expect them to make a first team um, transfer, I would suggest. Um, they're strong enough as it is. I know KP is likely to leave, but he never played anyway. Do you know what I mean? Even, uh, even when Rodri was out with suspensions or niggles or whatever, he never played. So um, I don't expect them to do any other business apart from this 18-year-old um, midfielder. And it will be what well, it's supposed to be reported at about 12 million quid. So, Yeah, neither do I. I don't think they'll do any business. But I just think when... Like every time I look at Man City's starting lineup, or even the subs that they make, they you know Rico Lewis and um, that lad Bob, they seem to get an awful lot of game time in that central area of the park. And like you said, they signed Kovacic and they signed um, the lad from Wolves, Nunes. And if they were doing well enough, you probably see an awful lot less of them, particularly from the start, which they've gone with Rico Lewis quite a few times, and even worse for Calvin Phillips, who's absolutely got to leave. And I really hope that that's tied up soon for his. European Championship um, hopes. But yeah, I just think City, I've said it all along, I think they're worse in a lot of departments than they were last year, but it still might well not matter in the end. One player I just want to quickly call out for City for his recent form. When you think about the England side now, you think of Harry Kane, you think of Jude Bellingham, people now talk about Declan Rice, they talk about Saka. A couple of years ago, like the great English hope was Phil Foden, wasn't it? And I know he's maybe not done it so much in England shirt, Southgate maybe questions what his position is and things like that. But maybe with a couple of positions still to be sorted out with that second midfielder, if you're playing Bellingham a bit higher on and, and definitely the left wing, his form might just be picking up at the right time, Tomo, for him to maybe play out on wide left for England. Yeah, or wide right. Saka's oh, yeah, Saka's right. form's not great. Yeah, good yeah, point. Yeah, look, it's, it's a great thing for England, really. And he is playing really well the last maybe four or five weeks he's really stepped up. I think last season he had, he struggled with injuries and he was in and out of the team. And that was probably his first disappointing season, even though personally, obviously, but they won the treble. So, um, but he probably wasn't as involved as he wanted to be. But he's like, especially since Haaland's come out of the team in the last couple of weeks, he's really stepped up. Him and Julian Alvarez have really stepped up in there, in that absence and, yeah, he, he, he has played a bit more centrally lately and I, I just don't think um, as much of a pragmatist as Southgate is, I just can't see him playing Foden and Bellingham together in any game um, in that central area. So if Foden does play for England, I can only see it being the left wing or the right wing, unfortunately. Um, but obviously, was... but Rashford's struggling to perform this season. So that left wing position's yeah. up for grabs and Saka's not, he's not lighting it up as much as he was last season, he, although, I mean, he did score, didn't he, in, in the week? Yeah. Where is Phil Foden playing for Man City? I know he's been in good form the last few weeks. Where's he, he playing? He drifts. So he it, can... That's the problem. It's not just Southgate doesn't know his position. We know that Southgate likes, um, you know, round pegs in round holes. There's no way he'll play right wing. Saka will play there. Uh, barring any serious injuries or ridiculous fall-off in forms. He isn't going to play centrally. We know Bellingham's going to have that role in behind Kane now, and it will probably be someone like Phillips next to Rice, hopefully, if he gets a move. The only shout he's got is on the left. Um, and I'm not sure he really plays there for City, does he? But Rashford will be lucky to get on the plane. 
Grealish is coming back into the side now and has actually hit a little bit of form. So he might be someone to look out for in that left position. I just think it's that lack of holding down a natural position that he plays week in, week out, where Southgate um, is worried about trusting him in an England side, particularly with the importance on this tournament. So I don't think Phil Foden will start for England. Uh, but like you said, if he, if he does, it will have to be on the left. Yeah, I think he's been, as Thomas says, kind of lining up in that 10 position, albeit him and Bernardo Silva just seem to pop up wherever. But um, if Foden Alvarez have been 10 and 9 and you've got KDB and Haaland coming back in, if Doku and Grealish is the battle for that left wing and KDB is going to start 10, Foden might then need to be getting into that right wing spot over Bernardo Silva to get as much game time. So if his game time starts dropping, then this England conversation stops a bit. Do you not think KDB will drop in and just play next to Rodri? Definitely could, couldn't he? I, I think I he might. Just as he's he's in his like he must be about thirty four now, isn't he? Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, he's he's not, getting I think... on. I think they might just drop him in there. And you know, I've been talking about the Gundogan role. I think they might just stick him in there next to Rodri and and carry on with Foden in those central positions or Alvarez, which I don't think particularly worked to be honest. Alvarez, but yeah, that's what I think they might do. Yeah, what you got to remember is that. De Bruyne, like you said, he is in his 30s now. I'm not quite sure he's 34, but he got injured in the, the Champions League final, I believe. Then on his first game back, I don't know whether it was the first Prem game. Burnley. or yeah. yeah, and then he did the same hamstring. So And now he's been out for, what, four or five months. So they'll probably take it slow with him. Um, and they have the luxury to be able to do that when you've got Phil Foden or Bernardo Silva um, sort of, or even Julian Alvarez sometimes did the 10 when Haaland was playing nine. Um, so they've got the luxury of doing that. But i tell you what, we'll start again. Pep Roulette on FPL, where you suddenly have Alvarez in your side and at seven and a half million and then he's dropped. Or you've got Bernardo Silva and Foden and both of them aren't playing. So it's embarrassing yeah. the riches they have. Yeah, Kevin De Bruyne is only 32, so apologies for that. But he has been playing sort of week in, week out for 15 years now so since he was 17 so he's I would suggest he's quite an old 32 particularly yeah. with the injury that he picks up and then when he plays he's normally the main man and there's a lot on him um, whether that's for City or whether that's for Belgium even so yeah like you say just be careful with him but I can just see him retracting I don't think he'll I think he'll play more of an 8 than a 10 basically and they can probably allow Foden to carry on drifting and popping around which he does really well for City but we don't pop around for England do we we're far more regimented with our wingers and hopefully bailing him in behind Kane. And that might be what undoes his chances of getting a look in for the starting lineup, but maybe not. Great, great conversations to be having as England fans, though. Uh, Laurie, move on to Arsenal, who sit in fourth. So their form since we uh, were last speaking has kind of dropped off a cliff, really. They had that draw at Liverpool. They've then gone on to lose against West Ham, lose against Fulham. Uh, Arteta kind of coming across a little bit agitated in the press, coming across a bit mardy. Do you think uh, it's starting to unravel a bit for them? Yeah, I think that's a really sad state of affairs because I thought, you know, I picked Arsenal to win the league this season. I thought this point of the season would be where they might march on and learn from last year, where they started to unwind after Christmas and start getting caught and actually power through. And the likes of Declan Rice would help. And I just think it's gone the other way a little bit, whereby... Havertz is getting a lot of game time in there next to Declan Rice and I think they're a little bit looser in midfield and they're missing that kind of Xhaka next to Partey or, or Rice this season position. And also, like we just alluded to with Saka, not just Saka's their top scorer with six goals. 
I don't think Saka, Martinelli, Trossard, Odegaard are contributing anywhere near as much as what they need to. And we said at the start of the season, it's okay having Jesus as your number nine because he brings all these players into it and they can score the goals. A little bit like Bobby Firmino used to do and Salah Romani got all the goals, but they need to get the goals. And last season, I'm pretty sure if you look at the top scorer charts from this time, Martinelli, Saka and even Odegaard were right up there with like seven, eight, nine, ten each. This season, it's Saka on six and the rest of them were on two, threes and fours. And there's your difference. And that's why they're not beating West Ham. That's why they're not beating Fulham. And that's why they're fourth in the league at the moment. So Arteta has got an awful lot of work to do. And they're going to have to go on a gargantuan run to get back as title favourites again. Because they're looking at City, Liverpool and Aston Villa in front of them. They've already lost four games and it's halfway through the season. So Alex Ferguson famously said, you can't lose any more than five if you want to win the league. Liverpool have only lost once so far. So not looking amazing for them at the moment. Yeah, and Tomo, we obviously spoke um, when they were they were winning games a bit ugly and saying that's sometimes the hallmark of champions. But actually, it maybe was just a bit of a nod to what form was to come where they're just not playing well at all. You obviously see on Match of the Day and most other podcasts and anything else you listen to that Arsenal probably their one position to strengthen would be a striker. Um, is there anything that you're seeing uh, on social media about Arsenal dipping into the transfer market for a striker? Well, look, there's always the rumours with even Tony, but if you've got the Brentford um, director of football coming out and saying it'll be like 100 million, then Arsenal are not going to pay 100 million for even Tony because, yes, he would improve them and, yes, he would definitely fire them closer to the Premier League title, but is he... A hundred million pound player? Absolutely not. Like he's what is he? Twenty seven. He would come in and he would be. He wouldn't be like uh, Erling Haaland for Man City, where he just plays every game. You'd think that he would be in and out of the team with Gabriel Jesus. So, but there has been talk of that, and obviously, I suppose, and there has been talk of Crystal Palace coming in for Eddie and Ketia, but obviously. If you're Arsenal, you'd only get rid of or allow Eddie and Ketia to leave if they did bring in someone like um, Ivan Tony. But I think that one's a really difficult deal to do. And notoriously, these massive deals rarely get done in January. Um, and they have spent a lot of money. So I don't know how that would affect their FFP if they go and spend another 80, 90 million on, on a striker. But it does feel like, like Laura makes really good points on Martinelli, Jesus and Odegaard. I think Saka's numbers have actually been quite similar to last season, even though potentially his sort of performances on the eye haven't been as electric. His numbers have been up there with last season, whereas Martinelli, Odegaard and Jesus have dropped off a cliff, especially Martinelli. And it does feel like they need, um, well, they definitely need those guys to to bring their performance levels up. But it does feel like they need to buy someone just to give those guys a kick up the arse to say, look, your positions in this team aren't as safe as you think they are. Um, they did that last year with Trossard and he did he did give them a little boost and I thought he, he did well, but he struggled as well. So um, in, the, in the past sort of month or two. Uh, yeah, I'm a little bit worried with Arsenal. Like you said, when we speak sort of four or five weeks ago, and we say their 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 title credentials are really on show when they're nicking games late on, etc. Um, and we were saying, look, we fancied them to go on a big run because 
Martinelli, Odegaard and Jesus will turn their form around and start banging in the goals and assists, but it just hasn't happened. And then obviously those tight games then become draws and then the, like then it becomes losses and then it affects your confidence and then then all of a sudden you're spiralling and it does seem like they're spiralling a little bit but they have got Crystal Palace at home in the league next which is obviously very winnable and then they go away to Nottingham Forest before they host Liverpool so they can get back on track easily and um, obviously we've got the FA Cup in between that as well so um, not all do, doom and gloom but yeah they have certainly struggled one other area I, I really think Arsenal could strengthen is left back as well. They uh, Zinchenko out injured again um, in their last game against Fulham. I don't particularly think much of Zinchenko to be honest. If City are letting him go and used to play centre backs over him, like Ake at left back, um, yeah, I'm just not really having him. And then um, I think is it Jakub Kuwatomo, the Polish um, well, defender. Missed- He's been slotting in at fullback, but I really think Arsenal could do with a left back. Well, well, they've missed Tommy Asu. They've met, missed Tommy Asu, who has just come back from injury, and arguably, especially fullback positions, he's their best sort of one-on-one, sort of Aaron Wan-Bissaka type defender. Or he's definitely not as good on the ball as Zinchenko, but Zinchenko definitely. I know you said he's missing now with an injury, but definitely he's got lapses of concentration in him. You, you think of that. Um, was it the Salah goal against yeah. Liverpool where he just completely got spun? And yeah, he has struggled for form. Um, but Tommy Asu's come back in, or I think coming back in, and hopefully he can fill that void. But uh, did yeah. they sell Kieran Tierney in the end? No, he's on loan at Real Sociedad. Oh, is he? That's completely bypassed me. They, they One other quick point. They just can say they signed that Yuri and Timber, didn't they, from Ajax, which might have meant that I know yeah. Ben White. Um, would step into centre back, uh, maybe instead of Gabriel, but I think he could play left back as well and had done Fryax a bit as well. So they have been a bit unlucky there, but um, yeah, I'm not sold on Zinchenko. Sorry, Laura. No, just what, another quick point in the forward areas is Eddie and Ketty is 25 this year. Like, I always think of him as being like a 19 year old, we're waiting to burst onto the scene, but he scored about 20 goals in 110 games for Arsenal. Not digging the lad out, he's, he's definitely a Premier League player, good player, but. That is an area. If he, when Jesus plays, if he's sort of like the false nine that lets the others go in and, and get their goals, Eddie Nketiah's not. He's a finisher that needs to be scoring goals and he doesn't score enough for a team that want to be looking to win the league. So I think getting him out and bringing in someone of an Ivan Tony ilk is certainly something they need to do. Well, one other point as well is that. Um... We keep revisiting this, but it doesn't feel like the vibes as good as Arsenal to me as well. I saw something the other day about Emil Smith-Rowe sat looking really like down in the dumps on the bench. Go back to it, the goalkeeper bit, like Ramsdale was obviously a bit of a character in the dressing room. We've had that whole thing with Ray now. I just wonder if that kind of atmosphere amongst the players has shifted a little bit as well. And a couple of people just starting to question some of the decisions of Arteta. Obviously, purely speculation that, but obviously just looking for reasons why their forms dropped so uh so suddenly but i just do wonder if a couple of those bits have come into it as well uh we'll move on lauro tottenham obviously a team that you've spoken highly of throughout the season had a bit of a dip in form but actually now only one point behind arsenal and i saw today mickey van der ven back in training uh might not quite be ready for the fa cup game uh, that they've got on friday night but obviously going to get him back in and they're in talks to sign another center back as well uh, from Genoa in Italy, which obviously provides a bit more cover for 
uh, Van der Ven and Romero, where they're then having to play fullbacks at centre back. But to be only one point behind Arsenal with the injuries they've had and some of the suspensions, I think Big Ange probably be really pleased that area on fourth of January. Yeah, and every Tottenham fan in the country will be really pleased. I think um, they are the best team to watch that the Premier League has had in a long time. Every single time you watch them, um, I love how they just go full blooded towards the game plan and the kind of philosophy that Ange has. And like you say, they've had to navigate some really difficult times where in large parts of the last couple of months, we've had Wyal and Ben Davies as centre-backs and they haven't really moaned about it. They've just carried on attack, attack, attack. They haven't always got the results, but lately they've started to pick right up again, haven't they, and get their three points every week. And Huminton's been brilliant. Richarlison's back in the goals. La Celso um, in a central position has been really good. Kulazeski all of a sudden looks a player again. And those forward players, without James Madison, let's not forget who's been absent for a few months now, um, all look hungry and eager to score and play well and entertain every week. And when you can do that and be in a, a more than acceptable position in the league, fifth, one point behind um, Arsenal, as you said, halfway through the season after having an in- injury-ravaged and suspension-ravaged one, very, very, very pleasing and, you know, more kudos to Ange and the way that Tottenham are being run this year. So um, just a quick point, obviously, is it the Asia Cup at the same yep. time as the Afghan? Son will be a big miss. Uh, probably if we send Salah's the best player in the league this year, Son's definitely in the top three or four, isn't he? Um, not a player that you want to lose for too long. So I don't know what the dates are like on that. Hopefully we won't be without Hummin Song. A, as a Tottenham fan and your um, hopes and aspirations this year, but B, just as a neutral Premier League fan, love watching him. Um, so glad I brought him into my fantasy football team. He seems to get points every week. And uh, yeah, good vibes at Tottenham. And like you say, Van der Ven coming back, hopefully Madison not too far away, one or two signings and maybe if they have an even stronger second half of the year, huge contenders for top four and sky's the limit. Yeah, the only thing I was going to add to that was I was going to mention Sonny in the Asian Cup, but actually it's Basuma leaves for the AFCON and so does Papo Matisar. Um, wow. Yeah, so and then on top of that, you've got Romero out for a month um, and... Okay, yeah, Van der Ven and Madison will come back eventually. Might take a couple of weeks to get get back into it. So yeah, they've done really well to still be in and around it. Um, what does their midfield look like without Basuma and Saar then? Lacelso, well, Sk- Skip, Lacelso, Hoiberg, Skip and Hoiberg. That's some drop off from Basuma and Saar, isn't it? Yeah. So look, they, I think I predict a little bit of pain this month um, before they get back to sort of. Well, their their fixtures are. They got Burnley in the FA Cup on Friday. Then uh, the 14th of the first, they go away to Old Trafford. The 31st of the first, they've got uh, Brentford home. And then they've got Everton away and Brighton at home on the 10th. And the uh, the Asia Cup has got the uh, same dates as AFCON, really. The finals the day before on the 10th. So if South Korea, who are second favourites in that, uh, do go far, then that's, that's quite a few games without Sonny for them. And obviously... He's managed to fill that goal-scoring void of Harry Kane quite well, playing a bit more centrally. So be interesting to see what like Richarlison, Brennan Johnson, Kulisevsky can do over that period if they can maintain the numbers. Yeah, but the another thing to add, I would suggest, is we've seen over the course of the season that no matter how many players they have um, out injured or suspended or whatever it, it may be, and plays the same way, gives the players confidence to to go out there and attack, etc. So it'll be interesting to see how they get on. Um, but you don't, ex- I don't expect Tottenham to 
sit there and feel sorry for themselves. They've just got to get on with it. Yeah, and that's a really good point. It hasn't, of course, it matters who you have out in terms of the quality of the players you have on the pitch. But as I just alluded to before, it doesn't work just having 22 world-class elite players in your squad. It's about the process and everyone being on board with the philosophy and the way that Tottenham want to play. So if players are unavailable, the other players can come and slot straight in and they know exactly what their jobs are and how to continue playing with the same ethos and hopefully the same output as we've come to expect from Spurs. And I think... Without Van der Ven and Romero at stages and obviously Madison for long periods. And even the fact that he never had Harry Kane, but Tottenham have lost their best ever player this season and seem to improve. That just shows that it's working for Ange. Do agree, though, that Sarah and Basuma are big losses, particularly when obviously Benton Kerr can't play. Um, Skip and Lacelso looks a bit weak in midfield. So they're probably going to have to outscore opponents a little bit. But that probably is playing into the hands of how Ange Postacoglu likes to play at the moment. So probably more exciting games involving Spurs to come. Indeed. Um, so, yeah, we spoke about them going to Old Trafford uh, on the 14th, which is their next Prem fixture and United's Tomo. Their struggles have continued uh, since we've been uh, away, losing 2-0 at West Ham, obviously 2-0 down at home to Villa, had that comeback. And you think, is that going to be the spark that might get the season going? But then went and put in a really shameful performance at the City ground and lost against Forest, uh, just a little bit on United from your point of view um, and, and what the outlook for 2024 is. Well, first of all, I'd like to apologise to all West Ham fans because we bypassed them in the table and I think they've been um, brilliant over the Christmas period. And in December, I think David Moyes um, steered them to a victory over Tottenham, Arsenal and Manchester United. Um, and to be honest, I'd rather talk about West Ham than Man United because like you just said, absolutely terrible apart from a second half display against Villa. Um, but I think that says that said a lot more about Villa's performance that night than it did about Man United's because we've, it's been a shambles basically. And the only, I guess, hope and bright light is that this Sir Jim Ratcliffe takeover has finally happened and him and Ineos and Sir David Brailsford and all these guys will now go into Manchester United and try and sort it out um, because we've spoke a lot on this podcast about all of the issues that Manchester United have got and it's not just one, um, but it is it is shameful and it was a shameful performance against Forrest. Um, another shameful thing about United is that Jadon Sancho is about to um, join Dortmund on loan um, we're having to pay, I think, 75% of his wages in that loan. Um, something that really, even though it is a shameful thing to do, we almost have no choice because of the way he's acted and the way that Eric Ten Hag has dealt with that situation. Um, Anthony's, Anthony's levels have been... Do you know what? I, I think Anthony is the one single biggest reason why um, I'm struggling to have any faith in Eric Ten Hag as a manager because... He's just fully backed this guy. And he, he said to the Man United board, I want him and no matter what. And the Man United board have gone and spent 85 million on him. And at not one stage over these last 18 months has he looked like an 85 million pound player. And at not one stage has he looked like deserving of that trust that Eric Ten Hag is, seems to give him week on, week out. Um, so, yeah, look, what can I say? It's been, it's been pretty depressing, to be, to be honest, mate. But a bit... 
a bit of positivity. Casemiro back in full training. Um, Lissandro Martinez back in full training. Mount on his way back. I think Luke Shaw's on his way back. We've had Christian Eriksen back. So we're starting to get some bodies back. Um, we've only got two two games in January. So we haven't got kind of the EFL Cup games. We've not got a build-up of Prem fixtures. Um, we've obviously not got Europe in the second half of the season. Not that they're positives being out of competitions, but we need to realistically get a European position, don't we, in the Premier League this year? And you spoke about West Ham, rightly so. Brighton as well. We've got the other five sides we've spoken about. That means United's form has got to pick up. Newcastle, Chelsea starting to pick up a little bit. That that form's really got to uh, pick up for United. So getting those bodies back, two leaders in Martinez and um, Casemiro might be really important come the end of the season. Yeah, definitely. But they're... Like we're six months into the season now, halfway through, and there have been absolutely no signs that um, our form will will change. And I can't even say we've been like that Gennaro Gattuso meme, you know, sometimes good, sometimes shit. But yeah. we've literally been all the time shit, and yeah. we've just won games that we shouldn't have won. And like we've lost, did we lose nine? We lost five games in December. Five games in one month, Manchester United Football Club. I'm, not, I'm in danger of becoming a meme again. But, yeah, you are right. Players coming back is a positive, and hopefully that will help Ten Hag turn around the form. Um, because, like you say, he needs to do that. Lauro, a team that um, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, whose form was just starting to dip, that that slump's continued. They ended up finished bottom of their Champs League group. Uh, they've obviously behind Man United now in the Premier League, I think, just off going into the bottom half if Chelsea were um, to pick up a few more points. Started to see some reports that Eddie Howe's under a little bit of pressure and there's a couple managers being muted for that uh, role there. Do you think he is a bit of a dead man walking, Eddie Howe? Do you think he's got credit in the bank to turn it around just a little bit on... On Newcastle? Uh, well, firstly, they've been poor, haven't they? For a while now. Um, and we can talk about injuries and having players unavailable, but there's lots of other teams that you can look at, um, particularly the likes of Spurs and even Man City to a, an extent, um, above them that have dealt with injuries in a better way. And I still think that the 11 players that they put out most weeks still look like a good team that should be getting better results than they have been. So I don't think they're, you know, Eddie Howe and his team are and his staff are beyond criticism. It's probably not good enough for Newcastle to be ninth in the league at the moment, considering they're in the Champions League st uh, spaces for most of last season. So there's been some drop-off. Yes, I definitely think he's got more than enough credit in the bank to carry on in his job. And I would have full faith personally that he's a the right man to, to turn it around, but uplift their fortunes again and sort of spearhead towards... Um, the Champions League places again. Whether that happens or not, I'm not sure. I think the league's probably a little bit more competitive in and around the um, upper estuals of the league this season. However, I think he's a dead man walking. And I think we've seen <laughs> managers... I think we've seen managers in um, positions that are probably less poor form than him lose their jobs do you know what I mean and to, yeah. I know there's the one the old one of like victim of your own success and that definitely comes into it a little bit as well but like what I'm trying to say is we've seen managers lose their jobs for less than this run of form that Eddie Howe's been on and Newcastle have been on and they are a team that want to be competing at elite level and sometimes ruthless decisions have to be made so if Eddie Howe gets sacked I don't think it's as bad 
as some managerial seconds that we've seen in the past. Um, and it, I think it will happen, basically. I don't think their fixtures look very good. I don't think they can win a game away from home. I think a lot of the things are culminating in looking at poor reading statistically, figures-wise, for Newcastle this season. And I would be very, very surprised if he lasts too much longer in that job. However, if he does, I think it would be a really, really good sign from um, the sort of Newcastle hierarchy and the first sort of bit of loyalty we've had to see from them towards the manager. The first time he's not maybe overachieving and we can see where they where they stand there. But, I mean, we've seen the reports of Mourinho. We've seen the reports of the uh, Girona manager being linked. And it just feels like we're heading towards maybe the end of Eddie Howe's tenure. I think he'll get an amazing job afterwards and have a pick of a lot of clubs in England. Um, but I think his time could be coming to a close. Tomo, Eddie Howe to Man United in the summer, if they sack Ten Hag, would you have him at the club? No. <laughs> no, I actually think a more um, more realistic option for Eddie Howe would be the next England manager. Um, but... I don't actually agree with you, Laura. I don't think they will pull the trigger on him, and I can. I wouldn't be surprised if they did, because you're not surprised if any in anything in football. But I feel like they've been quite sensible, the Saudi owners, since they've come in, and the appointment of Dan Ashworth as sporting director has really sort of um, spearheaded that that focus um, towards sensible signings like Anthony Gordon, Harvey Barnes. I just think they've been terribly unlucky this season, and I do think. Your Dan Ashworth of these world of this world and the hierarchy will take all of that context into account. And okay, yeah, they have struggled and it is worrying. And I suppose, like with anything in, in football, if this run does continue, then they might have no choice. But I don't agree with you. I think I think that Eddie Howe will turn this round. And I do and I think um just like Man United, they get they'll be getting players back and um and and they'll turn it round. Maybe not to the to the heights of last season, but like like you've already alluded to, Laura, they did overachieve last season. And I do believe the Saudi owners um, are sort of sensible enough um, to realise that. And if they can finish seventh and maybe sneak in a Conference League position, I think that would be a more than acceptable season, given all of the challenges that the, um, Eddie Howe and his team has faced this year. Just to be clear, I agree. I think Eddie Howe can turn it around. I think they've got the right manager for this period of time for them. I just don't like the noises that are in and around the club at the moment. And following quite a few Newcastle fans as well on Twitter, um, some local and some just Newcastle fan accounts, I feel like the tide's turning in terms of that credit in the bank. I don't think it should be. I think they should be more than happy just to see through the season, at least with Eddie Howe, pretty much no matter what happens. Um, beyond something drastic, I like I said, I just got a feeling they might pull the trigger. But like I said, I re they have been sensible so far, and a lot of the stuff that they've done has been quite um, impressive, actually. So I really, really hope you're right. And obviously, I mean, the next two games, I think, are something ridiculous like Man City and Villa. So all of a sudden, if you win one of them, it, we're probably not even talking about it. But Football's very, very quick, isn't it? Arsenal have just lost. Arsenal were top of the league. They've just lost two games and we're talking about a crisis, really. Very similar with Newcastle the other way. If they go and beat Man City, I think it'll be absolutely fine. That's football. They've lost seven of their last eight games, Newcastle. If they uh, if they don't get some points against Man City and Villa, I think he uh, 
he might go. I say, Laura, I've seen the Girona manager linked. Um, their owners said he wouldn't step in the in the way of him if he got an offer of a big club. And he said if Bayern Munich do come in for him, he'll drive him to Munich himself. Um, Munich have distanced himself from that. Well, yeah, um, Thomas Tuchel was like, Fuck, yeah, there like fifty cent. Like, what are you coming <laughs> to me for? Yeah, I don't think Munich have even considered it. But yeah, he'll drive him to Munich himself. So and Jose Mourinho as well. Um, yeah, I just, always just quickly on, on these reports. Look, sometimes these are just agent led. They want they want yeah. to move their agent on, or they want to get him a new contract at the club, or and the Mourinho's agent will want him because his contract runs out in Roma in the summer, so he'll want him bandied about everywhere. So I don't know if this is coming from Newcastle, where they're actually like putting the feelers out. It'll probably just be agents knocking on the door, going, "Look, you're struggling. Do you want our manager?" And then telling Fabrizio Romano. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just little curveball in there. I'm I could be completely making this up. I sometimes think that clubs leak information themselves like this to see what the reaction is of fans. Because you can do you can do like a case study in hours now on Twitter, can't you? Leak something like that and just look at what Newcastle fans are saying. I, I when Leeds were looking to replace um uh was it Bielsa or Marsh, one of them, there was a guy that they'd flown in, I think an ex Ajax manager, um, or leaked that they were speaking to. And then the reaction was so bad from the fans. And then all of a sudden it didn't happen. But it was definitely supposed to be happening. So I think sometimes clubs do these little things just to see what the reaction would be like to the fans. And in this case, are people saying, oh, it'd be an absolute terrible decision. And then we've lost all faith if they get rid of anyhow. Or actually, are they looking at fans reacting to these news reports this week saying, yeah, it's about time. Eddie Howe's lost seven and eight. We can't win away from home and it's all gone to pot. And I think they have a little look at that and then maybe make a more informed decision afterwards. Maybe that doesn't happen, but it just feels like it does to me. No, I think I think you're right. It probably does. And I think United signed their players based on it. There was one tackle against Mbappe, wasn't there, for Amrabat. That was the only highlight I ever saw of Sofian Amrabat and he got signed. And since then, all I see is videos of someone who looks like him doing the Macarena. So, yeah. <laughs> no, he. to be fair to Sofian, he was very, very good for Morocco in the World Cup last year. But that is about it, isn't it? Well, if uh, Fergie, who said never sign someone off the back of a good international tournament, I think we might have signed someone from doing that and got stung before. But yeah, luckily he's off to AFCON now, Sofian. Boys, just have a quick look at the other end of the table. Um, relegation battle. So uh, shout out to Luton, who are climbing up through. Obviously, um, they seem to be playing for their captain at the minute, Tom Lockyer, but... Uh, they're only one point outside of the relegation now with Everton's uh, points deduction. But Tomo, I say 1.4 Everton for that. Lost a couple of games now. Obviously, we're ahead against City, uh, but lost that game. Lost against Spurs. Do you think that uh, potentially Sean Dyche should be looking over his shoulder a bit? Um, well, obviously, if you're that close to the relegation zone, then you're always looking over your shoulder. And he saw in his... Um pre-match FA Cup press conference today, he said, look, the FA Cup's not our um, priority at all. Um, but look, you, you, I know they've lost three in a row now, but like, like you just said, it was City, it was Tottenham. Um, okay, they did get turned over at Wolves. Um, what was it? 4-0. So that was probably the only one where they fought really disappointing result and performance. Um <sighs> Look, I, w I wouldn't worry about 
I wouldn't worry about Everton, to be honest. I think they're fine. Like you say, they, they've had the 10-point deduction and they're still above the relegation zone. And they have appealed that deduction. I, I don't know why, but I kind of expect that to get lowered for some reason. So it won't be 10, it might be 7 or 8. And um, But they'll have to do that soon, I guess, because they can't do that. Like They can't wait until sort of the start of April to do that and then move them out of the relegation zone based on that. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. look, I think they'll be fine. But, um, and Sean Dice, I think he's done a great job there um, in in the circumstances. The Prem's amazing, isn't it? I think last time we spoke, they just won four and a bounce. And we were saying if they didn't have their 10-point deduction, they'd be in the European positions. And now we're talking about Luton one point behind them with a game in hand to drop them into the relegation zone. Laurie, just um final point on the Prem before we move on, but a couple of kind of wildcard suggestions for relegation that are starting to creep down a bit now. Brentford are only three points ahead of Everton on 19 points. Uh, they've lost, looking at this here, seven of their last eight as well. 3-1 against Palace, 4-1 against Wolves, uh, 2-1 against Villa, 1-0 against Sheffield United, 2-1 against Brighton, and then, albeit Arsenal and Liverpool, so no shame in that, but they, their form's really, really poor at the minute. A side that yeah. you could see going down? No. I trust Brentford as a club and a, a club that's got like a process to follow. And I just think that I would be really surprised, considering this is like their third season or something in the Prem now, isn't it? The second or third season. I just think that they'll carry on. And they've been in poor form, but I think that will just be there. And if I, especially particularly if Ivan Tony comes back into the fold and they can get his goals back in, they've been a little bit unlucky with injuries recently as well. Obviously, in Buenos been out. I think Brentford will be okay. Forest and Palace, on the other hand, I think should be really worried. And if I'm Luton, particularly, Burnley and Sheffield United as well, but Luton look like they've got the biggest chance at the minute. I'm looking at Forest and I'm thinking, let's finish above them. And if we finish above them, we're probably safe. And I know Nuno's had a half-decent start. Beat Man United the other day at um, He's won Christmas. He's won two out of three games. Yeah, so all right, two thirds of a decent start then. Um, I, most managers have a honeymoon period. I look at that Forest squad and I think they've got. I mean, one of those games saw Chris Wood score a hat trick against Newcastle. You can't tell me Nuno Espirito Santos came in and rejuvenated Chris Wood into doing that. That's just one of those fluke games, isn't it? That won't happen every game of the season. They're going to have to knuckle down and get some serious points. And I think they're one of the least equipped clubs to do that, in my opinion, on paper. And I also think. Crystal Palace at the moment are on a little bit of a downward trajectory as well, just in terms of the aura around the club. There's a lot of negativity towards Roy Hodgson. I think they should make a change there soon. I think they should appoint Steve Cooper. I think if you appoint Steve Cooper at Crystal Palace, they are definitely safe. And I think they'll be looking at um, going north in the table rather than south for the rest of the season and then in future seasons as well. But I think Forest and Palace are the ones to be really concerned about. Fulham are too far above it for me. Bournemouth and Wolves look like really good sides with really good managers now. And I agree with you on Everton. I mean, their goal difference is better than Man United's. So if you look at the metrics in it, they're going to be okay, aren't they? Um, I can't believe I'm saying that from what I was saying at the start of the season. But Sean Dyche has done a really, really good job to make them an effective club that can win games. Like you say, poor form, but against Spurs, City, etc. And uh, yeah, Brentford, for me, will be okay. But I mean, obviously in 16th place and only four points above the relegation zone, you're right to shout them out. But Forest and Palace, for me, are the... Uh, the wild card relegation ones. Good stuff, boys. Well, great to uh, great to be back talking about the Prem, but we will move on to the Championship. So uh, I was hoping by the time we came back on air that maybe we'd have a uh, a new Pyramid Pod Cup holders, but 
No, not to be. Southampton continued their great form, 13 points from their last five. I think they won four in a row and then drew one all with uh, with Norwich, which potentially looked like a tricky fixture where the cup might change hands, but uh, they've still got it. Uh, they've got Warsaw in the cup this weekend, so I'm hoping uh, that there's a bit of a cup set there and the cup can change hands and go to uh, to Warsaw and drop down into the lower leagues. Um, but obviously can't, can't knock the job that Russell Martin's doing and the form that they're in at the minute. Saints are absolutely flying. Laura, another side that are flying, Leicester, 10 points clear now, 13 points from five. We'll obviously come on to Ipswich and Leeds in a minute, but their kind of forms just continued throughout the festive period. Uh, do you think with that 10-point gap now, they're, they're champions-elect, it's done? Yeah, yeah. I don't think we need to talk about Leicester on this podcast again this season. That I'm not trying to be funny. I just think that that 10-point gap is going to get wider rather than shorter, isn't it? They're too, they're too good. They've got too many good... Proper, proper Premier League players, not on the cusp, proper Premier League players. And even their signings have been brilliant. Like that Mavadidi, he's got to be one of the signings of the century in terms of the championship. He looks absolutely fantastic. You blend that in with your likes of your Pereiras and your Vardys and your Justins and your Dewsbury Halls, even your Wilford and Didis. It's a, it's a bit of a joke. And it, it reminds me of like the Newcastle championship season where they were just all far, far, far too good um, and outweighed anything that could come near them. Even when they play really, really badly, they are still winning pretty much every game, albeit other than the the Leeds and Hull games this season. So, yeah, champions elect and very little more needs to be said on Leicester this season, um, barring something ridiculous happening, which I don't see. Tomo, um, might not might not know, but obviously we speak about how much of a, a Prem-looking side they've got. Have they got players going to the AFCON, like is Ndidi going to the AFCON? I know we've got that Fatuwu who's been playing well for them. Um, obviously, know, Pat Zaka, do we know if, if they're off? I know that Fatuwu, I heard that Fatuwu was going. They'll have a couple, yeah, um, Ndidi for sure. Um, but like Laura says, they've got the strength and depth. Like they, they've, I think they've had their three main strikers out injured for the last month and it hasn't felt like they've struggled. Like, they just played some 21-year-old called Tom Cannon who just decided to score a brace against Huddersfield. Yeah, so... he's, their, he's their fourth choice striker and that's not bad, yeah. is it? Yeah, so... They did yeah, they did spend some money on him there. Where's he from, Laura? Just flexing their muscles, aren't they, at the top of the table. If, if you can bring in um, the likes of Tom Cannon to come in as your fourth choice striker, um, yeah, then then it's fantastic, isn't it? He's from, I think they saw him from Everton. He was at Preston last year um, and scored goals for them. I think one every two games for them. Um, and then Leicester just obviously threw the threw the book at him and, and brought him in, even though they had Vardy, Patsendaka and uh, Kelechi and Iacho, three very esteemed Premier League players at the top of the park, in addition to your Mavadidis and all the rest of them. So a little bit boring, I think, from Leicester. I don't think it should count, but yeah, they'll be back in the Premier League next season. Yeah, I just look at their side to see if any AFCON sort of gaps would appear in their side. But their fullbacks are Pereira and James Justin, who last year we were speaking about going on to go to big clubs um, in some of the WhatsApp groups. So, yeah, mad for them. Tomo, one side whose form has dipped, though, Ipswich. We did wonder whether that dip would come. We'd obviously come on and speak uh, about Leeds in a minute. They got absolutely smashed by Leeds, Ipswich. They've only picked four points up from their last five games. They're now only three points ahead of Southampton, who we've spoken about a fly-in. So potentially just starting to to drop off a bit under Kieran McKenna. Yeah, and look, we, we kind of half expected them to 
to drop off at some point or go on a sort of a sticky spell. I think if you look at the individual games that they've actually dropped points in, like, okay, yeah, the Leeds result was a one-off, and but it can happen. And and then they go to, or they, then they play Leicester at home and you'd say that, that that's a good result, really. And then it's the last two ones that are slightly worrying because they've not been able to score against QPR at home and obviously then they've drawn with Stoke um, away from home, nil-nil. Um, I think it was at Connor Chaplin come out and he's basically give give a bit of a rallying call to the board to to get some players in. It feels like they're almost on their their last legs a little bit when it comes to um, the players are given all that they've got and it almost feels like a little bit like they're running out of bit of steam. Um, so maybe one or two smart additions in this January transfer window will help them um, propel them back into sort of form and title promotion form. But the worrying thing for me and for them, I would think, is Southampton's form. Um, Leeds have dropped a couple of, or keep seeming to drop in some needless points. Um, so maybe they could stay ahead of them. But Southampton just look imperious at the minute. And like I said, I think it's only a three-point gap now. So it is it is worrying. But like I said, and I think it is Connor Chaplin who said, uh, they need a couple of players just to freshen things up and then um, and then hopefully get going again. Well, Ipswich is next. They've got Wimbledon in the cup, but um, a bit later on in the month, their next two championship games are Sunderland at home and Leicester away. So I think if they do want to go up automatically, they'll have to pick up some points from that. You're right, Tomo, it is four points from the last five, but that has been four draws in amongst that lead smashing. But draws sometimes, they're dependent, how the quality of a draw is dependent on the results that kind of bookend it. And if you just back it up with other draws, they are, you know, those two points drops start to add up. Laurie, come on to lead. So say, obviously smashed Ipswich 4-0, but two losses since then. Four points now behind Southampton, uh, seven points off Ipswich, but still plenty of games if Southampton drop off and Ipswich continue to to get that second automatic space. Yeah, and I think it's going to be a real good fight for that second automatic space now between Ipswich, Southampton, Leeds, maybe even West Brom and Sunderland. Um, we've just been found out a little bit, I think. Um, obviously, we're fa- absolutely fantastic at home. Very rarely drop points there. But away from home, teams just sitting against us, very low block. And they know that the way that we play, a little bit of organised chaos, seems to have been a running theme at Leeds for the last four, five, six years. They will get a chance at something. You know, when you've got a keeper like Meslier and you've got defenders that like to push on and and things like that, they will get a chance. And we've fall, fallen victim to that. I think we've lost six or seven away games now. Um, a couple of them recently, we've lost to Preston, who are in no form. We lost to West Brom. OK, they're a good side. I remember losing to Stoke away. They never seem to win. Um, Birmingham beat us away from home this season. Do you know what I mean? It's not good enough when you've got players like this. So I've been very, very... um, I've given a lot of praise to Daniel Farker this year. I think we are sat in, at very best, par position at the moment. Fourth. And the season, as it always is, will be um, dictated by how we get on in the second half. Home form couldn't be any better. We need to start putting teams to bed and to the sword away. And you can tell that Daniel Farker's not overly happy. Last game, he dropped Piro, started Patrick Bamford, who actually got his first game, uh, got first goal in about four years, which is nice to see. 
Um, Somerville's been the best player in the league. Dan James has been very good. Jorginho Rato's um, been fantastic, albeit not scored very many. We need to start um, winning games away from home and winning 1-0 here and there rather than just blowing teams away at home. It seems to be a different side of home and away at the moment and a completely different kind of confidence and aura around the team. And that is very much Daniel Farker's job to sort out. But he's the right man to do it, I'm sure. And uh, it's coincided with Ipswich poor form as well. I'm I, I'm not that worried about Southampton. I don't know why, because they haven't lost a game since the Pyramid Pod Cup started, which was, what, about a year ago now. But I just think Ipswich, I trust a little bit more to kick on again. And I think it'll be them that we have to catch. OK. For for um, Daniel Fark, do you think it's as black and white as he's got to get Leeds promoted this year to keep his job. I'm just looking at the squad. You're bringing Jaden Anthony, Junior Furpo, Willie Nonto, Joel Pirro, Ian Paveda off the bench. you got Jed Spence on there. Obviously, you got Ruter, um, Dan James, Somerville you speak of, Bamford scored, uh, Joe Rode on Ampadu. Do you think with that squad that he should really be getting you up automatically and taking you back to the Prem? Yeah. I also think that we are in a very, very um, rare circumstance in the Championship. I I think like nine of the last 10 seasons, we'd be in the automatic spots now on 48 points. Yeah. Um, we'd probably be second. But Ipswich and Leicester have been so good. I mean, particularly Leicester. But Ipswich even, up until a couple of weeks ago, they had had the second best start to a Premier League, uh, to a championship season ever. And they were second. So it's very rare that you can be just under two points a game and not be in the automatics. Um, look, I think Leeds, will, I think we're going to end up in the playoffs now, probably. Um, and if we don't win the playoffs, no, I don't think they'll sack Daniel Farker. And it'll be a case of, look, you, we need to go up next year. Um, I don't see him getting sacked beforehand, no. Unless, obviously, we drop out of the playoffs and end up going on a four, five, six game winless run. But I, I don't think we, uh, I think we're too good for that. Yeah, I said you had your, your two losses, but since then you beat Birmingham 3-0 and one manager who was sacked. Um, I think we called this early doors, boys, really. But Tomo, Wayne Rooney relieved of his duties at Birmingham. Um, they were sat in the playoffs, I think. I think they'd won a Friday night football against West Brom. Looked like the, with that group of players, Eustace had got them absolutely firing. Rooney's come in and uh, taken them to guided them to 20th, six points off the relegation zone. What an absolute disaster. Yeah, yeah. Look, it it was terrible, wasn't it? And um, it's it's a difficult one, really, because it it feels like they brought him in to play this expansive, all out attacking football that John Eustace was unable to do, um, or refused to do, or whatnot. But the only way for them to do that really would be to give him January and to get him to sign five or six of those type of players. Um, for them to sack him just before January, or maybe was it January 1st he got sacked? Um, it does go to show how badly it's gone. But at the end of the day, we're not there at the training ground. We don't know. <clears throat> we don't know exactly how bad it's gone. It's obviously catastrophic. And some of the interviews that he was doing, he completely wit off some of those players that he was playing week in, week out by like week three. He was just going, well, these guys aren't good enough to do what I want them to do, but look, January's around the corner and we'll be able to bring players in. It's like, no, no, you need them now. Um, and it feels, it, yeah, you know, it's gone badly wrong for him. Um, I even think his statement afterwards um, sort of saying that it's going to take a long time to get over this for him personally. I thought that was a bit embarrassing from him as well. But um, 
Uh, did, did I see somewhere basically they were like thirty three to one to get relegated when he took over, um, or when John Eustace was sixth, and now they're like six to four. Like that's how crazy. Well, he had two forms gone. He had two wins in fifteen. He came in after Eustace had just beaten Huddersfield four one and West Brom three one. They lost against Middlesbrough, Hull, Southampton, Sunderland, Blackburn, Coventry, Leicester, Stoke and Leeds. Drew with Bristol City, Plymouth, Rotherham, Ipswich. I mean... Can I can I just quickly... Wednesday let, in Cardiff. let me just make a point quickly. I do think this, this runner form has got 50% to do with Gary Cook's decision to... Um, he's the CEO of Birmingham, former CEO of Man City. So he's a he's an established football guy, if you will, and sh- and should have the experience and knowledge, and know how to to appoint and sack managers. And it feels like if you're like to sack John Eustace when he's completely over overperforming with that with that team and doing really well and clearly getting a tune out of the players um, at that time to completely and your your main aim for that sacking is to completely overhaul the style of play when you've not got you've got two months or three months until um the January transfer window. It makes no sense. If you wanted to do that, why don't you wait until I don't know, December and like or middle of the December, then bring Rooney in to have a quick look at the team in training and then January hits and you can at least then make some changes that will help change the style of play. It does feel like a complete shit show, really, not just from Rooney, but from Cook as well. Well, if I may. Go on, Laura. I just, I have to say, I think this is one of the most incompetent, inept, catastrophic, amateur, unforgivable courses of action that a football club has taken that I can remember. To go from fifth in the league, the first thing is sacking John Eustace at fifth in the league. Massively overachieving, a young gem of a manager that isn't always easy to find in one of the hardest leagues in the world, and you get rid of him. That's number one. Number two is then a point in Wayne Rooney that, from what Tigo is saying there, they wanted to bring in to play expansive football, etc. Well, I don't know what Wayne Rooney's done in his managerial career to suggest that he can implement that. I remember him at Derby being a bit of a backs-against-the-wall sort of siege mentality, big points deduction, transfer embargo manager, and he did okay, albeit um, culminating in relegation for the Rams. I don't think he did particularly well over at DC United either. And then if you do bring in Rain Rooney, surely one of the biggest things about bringing in a huge name, which felt like, to me, the biggest kind of deciding factor in bringing him in, is the fact that you might be able to attract slightly higher calibre of player because they'd want to play for someone like Wayne Rooney rather than a John Eustace. In which case, why on earth would you sack him just before the transfer window? So every single decision that they've made there, I think, should be unbelievably cause for concern for Birmingham City fans that you've got people running your football club that can be that amateur in the way that they're running it and the decisions that they're making and the courses of action that they're taking and they are rightly on the verge of a massive relegation battle now and the people that are going to decide who the next manager is are the same people that have made this decision to bring in Wayne Rooney and sack him in January and the same people that relieved John Eustace of his um, duties back in October or September whenever it was. So desperately concerning for Birmingham City, and it is an absolute travesty catastrophe for the club. Yeah, and um, I think 
one final point on that as well is that um, Simon Jordan was on in White and Jordan and he was asked by Jim White, would you sack Rooney if you were chairman now in, in the um, Birmingham hierarchy position? He was like, there's absolutely no way based on DC United, um, Derby and any other managerial form that Rooney had that he'd even be considering hiring him. Um, no. So, yeah, just a, a, a woeful decision uh, from all involved. And everyone predicted it. Everyone, we sat on the podcast, everyone you spoke to went, that's going to be an absolute disaster. And lo and behold, now they're six points off the relegation zone. I might have to go back to John Eustace, cap in hand, and ask him to come back and turn it around. Just one other bit of managerial news, Lauro. Um, Swansea looks like uh, Luke Williams, who had been linked, I think, with the Oxford job, um, a couple of months ago has held out, not taking it, but now might be going for a championship job at Swansea. Yeah. And I think, I think it's as good as done, isn't it? He He's one of these sort of like modern, attractive managers that everyone wants to get their hands on. Um, fashionable type of appointment done brilliantly in Ox County, obviously um, probably a second, uh, the second highest points in the national league ever last season just happened to come in the same season that Wrexham were there, but got got them promoted. Um, I think they're fourth or fifth in League Two at the moment. Um, he's brought through some really good players, the likes of Macaulay Langstaff, who we signed from Gateshead, who is now one of the best goal scorers in England. And he's someone that has been at Swansea before um, with, I want to say, with Russell Martin or someone of that ilk and uh, knows the club. It doesn't surprise me that that's the championship job that he's looking to take. And desperately disappointed for Notts County because they're right in the uh, mix to get promoted this season and they're going to have to go back to the drawing board and find another one of these managers that can sort of continue the progress and process that they've started. But I think a good appointment for Swansea. I didn't like the second of Michael Duff. I thought he's a good manager and I think he'll be another good uh, appointment for another club at some point. But different style of manager, Luke Williams, someone that does like sort of look at the metrics and is a on the grass coach and will play more attractive football that maybe Swansea have been used to over the years um, with the likes of Russell Martin, maybe Steve Cooper and, and, and people like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, they're in a position in the middle of the league at the moment, 10 points off relegation and eight points off of the playoffs. So no real danger, but maybe a dark horse to go on a bit of a run with a manager like that and, uh, and uh, trouble the top six. But I think there'll be an awful lot of clubs trying to do the same. So Difficult one, but probably a job that, on the balance of things, Luke Williams has to take, and I think it would be a good appointment. It it is mad sometimes the effect that a new manager has. I'm just looking at the form table in the Championship. In fourth, fifth, and sixth in the form table, you got Southampton, Leicester, Coventry in the top three. You've then got Millwall, Bristol City, and Sheffield Wednesday. And am I right in saying Millwall brought in Edwards, Bristol City? Liam Manning and Laura, I know you watched Sheffield Wednesday against Hull, who brought yeah. in his only role, who we spoke about, said we don't know yeah. anything about, but you watched them against Hull and they looked a different side. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I just wanted to say that they were electric. Um, they've got Danny Kadamatri's son up front. I don't know if you remember him, Bailey, who caused all sorts of problems for a really good Hull side, by the way. Um, who did have a player sent off at some point, but they were never winning that football match. Sheffield Wednesday always were. I think they've won something like five in eight. And I remember when Danny Roll was appointed, I'd never heard of them. Don't think any of us ever had. And we thought to ourselves, blimey, what is that guy doing? They brought him in. Chris Power thinks his assistant, who obviously came out of the England setup and has had championship experience in, in managerial positions. They've got to work and they are now three points off safety. Now, I can't remember what the points tally was when they came in, but they were gone. They were dead and buried and preparing for life in League One. And everyone was on at that owner saying he's the worst thing since sliced bread. Well, they've 
they've shown everyone that appointing someone like Danny Roll can work as long as the due diligence is done and maybe someone with a bit of more of an experienced head is brought in next to him. And I think that's probably paid dividends with Chris Powell. So maybe swapping places with Birmingham from what the start of the season looked like. Could could not praise Sheffield Wednesday enough for what I saw from them the other day. And then you look at the league table, realise where they are compared to where they were, and you look at the results that they've been on, fantastic. Yeah, great, Seven. I just think that that might be, you know, Birmingham are starting to think we need new managers to try and get that bounce. Swansea, bring Luke Williams in, maybe he'll get the bounce that we need um, to, to move up through the table. So, yeah, see how that one pans out. We'll quickly move on to League One, boys. So there were some big games, actually, um, in amongst the, the the top of the table side. So Portsmouth, they beat Stevenage. They sit top still. Uh, Bolton have got a game in hand to go top. Uh, Peterborough versus Derby. Really disappointingly, Derby winning in that game. Peterborough turned it around uh, and won 3-2 uh, to go into third place. Derby do remain fourth. Uh, first league loss since October for them. Obviously, we know uh, the boys on the pod are big fans of Paul Warren and Derby, so hopefully uh, they'll pick themselves back up from that. Portsmouth Derby have actually got uh, league games this weekend. They're not in the FA Cup. Portsmouth go to 23rd place Cheltenham and Derby go to 24th place Fleetwood. Lauro, Lee Johnson, right in saying he's left Fleetwood already? Oh, yeah. I mean, what a disaster for his career that was. I mean, I, I was actually a fan of a lot of the work that Lee Johnson did. Um, uh, I mean, back along at Oldham and Barnsley, particularly at Bristol City, where I thought he was unlucky to lose his job. And even Sunderland, I thought he set the wheels in motion for the Alex Neil promotion. Since then, it's gone drastically, drastically wrong. Um, and he's now been sacked twice in the same season by two different football clubs before New Year at Hibs and at Fleetwood. And when he went in at Fleetwood, we, I, I think I said on this pod, I like Lee Johnson, but you can't get this one wrong because if you get sacked at Fleetwood, suddenly you're not that championship manager any, anymore. If you want to continue, you're probably looking more bottom of league to national league. Um, and I'm not sure that's something he's going to want to do. And the the comments about him on social media, are so scathing. I mean, he is, he is pretty, <laughs> pretty well under-regarded by pretty much every fan of every club he's ever been at. So, I mean, I cannot believe Fleet would have bought him in and sacked him so quickly, to be honest with you. Um, they must have seen something they really, really didn't like. And they've replaced him with Charlie Adam within about 10 minutes. So it must have been something that they've had in the woodwork for a little while as well. And uh, yeah, Lee Johnson, Darren Way, Phil Jevons, the old YTFC band that were up at Fleetwood, all gone. Did yeah, you, I wonder did you boys see, um, just on Portsmouth, before we move quickly on to um, the next league, did you see Colby Bishop's comments after his goal? He scored, he scored his 13th goal um, of the season on the weekend. I don't think he scored in a couple games. And I think Portsmouth have actually, they've gone on a bit of a bad run. I think they they beat Shrewsbury after the Bolton game. And then they, I think they've not won in three in the league. And yeah. Colby Bishop didn't celebrate his goal. And he said, and he's clearly been getting loads of stick from the Portsmouth fans. And I think maybe the players have been getting a lot of stick for that, that um, small bad run of form. So, does go to show that even though they're what top of the league still, um, well, top of the league by two points. I know Bolton got a game in hand, but even just a small sort of blip, you can you, you can sort of get a bit of stick, and it's obviously got to Colby Bishop, even though like he scored his thirteenth goal of the season on the weekend. He said he said he was. It's been his toughest spell for the club, 
and he's felt really down about it. And, and if you watch the highlights, he didn't celebrate that goal at all. Yeah, I, I think Portsmouth fans were maybe starting to think that you can't in League One go and lose, uh, not win in three games like they did. Portsmouth are a big club, aren't they? They really need to be out of League One. Um, and Peterborough and Derby aren't going away. And Bolton are obviously two points off top to say of a game in hand. And then suddenly if you drop into the playoffs and you're having to play a Derby, an Oxford, a Barnsley, a Stevenage over two legs, I really don't think Portsmouth fans will fancy another year in League One. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute, Pompey fans. When was the last time they were in the championship, Portsmouth? That is a long time now. I know they're a big club for League One, but they're, they've been there a long time. And they're top of the league with, a, an, again, another brand new manager that was actually playing for Oxford last season. Um, and they're top of the league. So, I, I mean, I don't like that from Colby Bishop, to be honest with you. I think, or I don't like that from the Portsmouth fans. I don't like the reaction from Colby Bishop. You're top of the league. You're going to go through spells of the season that um, aren't going exactly according to plan, but you're still top. And even if Bolton win their game in hand, you're still in the automatic promotion paces. And the only way that that's going to kickstart and fire back up towards winning every week again is going to be positivity and a good aura around the club. That goes a long way. You don't want players starting to fall out of the fans and that kind of camaraderie between the two breaking down because that's when you can fall out of it. Like you say, there are big clubs in that division and it shows how well they've done for the start of the season. So come on, Portsmouth fans. Let's reset and think, blimey, we might be in the championship next year. We haven't been there in ages. And it's with a brand new young manager with a, you know, a good set of players that have started the season really, really well. Come under a bit of pressure, but I'm sure they'll go again. Back them. Yeah, good point. Boys, move on to League Two. Uh, Stockport, who are still sat top, but they've now not won in three. Uh, last time out, they played Mansfield. Um, there were some big games in League Two, actually. Played Mansfield, who won 2-0 at Stockport. Mansfield now two points off top with two games in hand. Wrexham are up into third. They won 4-1 versus Barrow. Did you boys see that? Barrow were 1-0 up going into stoppage time uh, in that game. And then I think there was 13 minutes added on and Wrexham decided to score three. I think two Steve Fletcher goals and uh, Paul Mullen. And Fletcher went on to complete his hat-trick in the second half. But mad few minutes that. Um, but yeah, they beat Barrow 4-1, who sit in fourth place. So um, top four all played each other. I've written down here about Notts County. They might go on to lose Luke Williams. Looks like they're going to Swansea. Laurie, you touched on McCauley Langstaff there. 19 goals now. Obviously scored, I think, upwards of, of 30 in the uh, National League last year. Do you think Luke Williams might think about taking him with him to Swansea at the Championship or too big a jump? Maybe. but Well, the person that will know best on that one is Luke Williams. He'll know if, he's, if he thinks he's Championship quality, but he... Is he the top scorer in League Two? He probably is, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, he is. With 90 guys, I mean, he's three above Jake Young. So, I mean, he's taken that stuff up a plum. And although, obviously, there is a big jump between League Two and the Championship, yeah, he probably will have a look at taking him with him. And if he does, then you'll know that he thinks he can um, raise his game to that level. But I'll tell you what be interesting this month is Wrexham in the transfer market. Because we know what Ryan Reynolds and the sort of hierarchy at that club have been like. They're not afraid to splash the cash and bring in big players. I've seen them linked with Johnson Clark-Harris, who has been a fantastic League One striker for like the last 10 years, um, who Peterborough, for some reason, transfer-listed in the summer, very very nearly went to Bristol Rovers, didn't happen. If they sign someone like that, then they'll go and win the league for sure. Um, 
So interesting transfer window in League Two, the most interesting league in England, isn't it? And Stockport, Mansfield, and Wrexham. That kind of feels like it's levelled out into a, a top three that maybe we were expecting at the start of the season. Um, the likes of Barrow have done amazingly well. Clubs like Crew and Wimbledon that maybe have got one or two standout players. Wimbledon we know have, has that have that um, Al Hamidi or or something like that, whatever his name is, very very good player. We'll have to see if he sticks around. Um, but I think the top three are probably going to be what the top three are. And it'll be interesting to see who each club bring in because they're all big spenders now to uh, solidify that. But yeah, look out for Wrexham and uh, their transfer acquisitions. I think that could be very interesting. Yeah, and just quickly on Wrexham as well, before we move on, big couple of positives for them before that game when they won 4-1 is that Elliot Lee and Paul Mullen signed long-term, new long-term contract. So, and they're, Obviously, both excellent players. So, um, yeah, interesting to see what happens in January. Uh, just on Paul Mullen, I know we spoke about um, the kind of life that he's living, like goes out to America, mates with Ryan Reynolds. I saw their famous uh, fan, uh, Bootlegger, was flying somewhere earlier and he was reading Paul Mullen's book. So he's even got a book deal now, Paul Mullen. So the guy must be absolutely buzzing that... Uh, that he scored those goals that he did a couple of years ago and, and has obviously been picked up by Wrexham. Yeah, Laurie, seeing them linked with Clark Harris, but they just seem to acquire strikers, don't they? Ollie Palmer was like goals, wasn't he, before he signed for them. They've got Steve Fletcher, who I think, has he played Premiership? If not, definitely been a championship yeah. striker. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Steve <laughs> Fletcher's been at Marseille. <laughs> yeah, good point, yeah. 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 They just brought in James McLean, decided to play him as a wing back. It's absolutely mad what's going on there. But yeah, that, that's one hell of a sign in. Um, bit of managerial news uh, in League Two, Tomo. Uh, Cowley Brothers in at Colchester. Yes. Uh, Danny and Nicky, I believe. Usually Danny's the, the head coach and Nicky's the one hot, sat next to him holding his pocket. Um, <laughs> yeah, but... but but they're good. Nah. They're a good managerial team. Um, I think the oh, his name by bypasses me. Their former manager, F. Everington, Matt Everington. Matty Everton. Yeah, and Matty Everington took over. I think he was in charge of their youth team um, forty-two days ago, and he took over from, I think, doing initially well as an interim, and then they've they've really struggled. I think one one in nine game looked like they're on the verge of potentially getting relegated. So maybe the change was inevitable. And look, we know all about the Cowley brothers. They're, they're quite, it does seem like a sensible appointment to be honest, um, but be interesting to see if they can get that new manager bounce and um, stay clear of the relegation zone. Yeah. Really highly regarded the Cowley brothers, aren't they? They speak brilliantly and yeah. they did an amazing job at Lincoln, but not really happened from since. Um, at Huddersfield and Portsmouth. So another, like, probably unfair to compare to Lee Johnson, but another one where they need to get back on the horse now because they're 22nd in League Two with Colchester. So if it doesn't go right there, then it's back to non-league for those two. So I think it's a good appointment for Colchester and uh, interested to see how they got on. Um, Salford sat the manager as well, again, yeah. for the like yeah. 50th time in the last couple of years. So let's see who Gary Neville in the class of 92 bring in this time. Yeah, I've seen um, Ryan Giggs is like second favourite for that role now. They might just go for a mate, but 
that's a, a sticky situation if you then got to go sack a mate. Also, just one thing, apologies to um, Nikki Cowley, who's just been compared to one of T-Bag off prison breaks, <laughs> inmate lovers holding his brother's pocket. But yeah, uh, Laurie, just that one is- thing. <laughs> yeah, it was. Just one final thing on League Two, Laurie. Swindon uh, were up in the playoff positions uh, back in October, November time, picking up some big results, getting some goals from Kemp and Young. They're down in 16th place now, and I believe both who are on loan. We've spoken about like Paddy Madden going to Yeovil um, on loan from a club in the same league. Kemp and Young were in similar positions, I believe, and they've both been recorded. Is that right? Yeah, well, the good thing about the loan market is that you can find some hidden gems that are maybe underappreciated by teams in your league or just below or just above. But the downside of it is if they do too well, they'll get recalled. And Dan Young and Jake Young have scored something like 32 goals between them, I think, this season in all competitions. Jake Young, particularly in the league, has scored 16. Um, And how do you replace... I I mean, I, I follow Charlie Austin on Twitter, who obviously plays for Swindon. and Only the other day he was saying Dan Kemp is the best player in the league too. Um, he goes back to MK Dons in the same league. Jake Young goes back to Bradford, albeit I think Bradford are selling him. I think maybe a League One club are in for Jake Young. Um, but from Swindon's point of view, it's impossible to replace, isn't it? You, you get, well, let's say it's probably unfair to say you get lucky with recruiting those two players. They obviously did their due diligence. Whoever recruited those has been brilliant, um, but victims of their own success. And even though they got quite a lot back from those two players, they're only 16th now, and that was with them. So they might be looking over their shoulder a little bit. But, um, yeah, difficult one for Swindon. It must be hard losing your two best players in January. They Maybe they were hoping that they could sign them. But I don't think they've got a chairman that particularly wants to put his hand in his pocket. So, yeah, maybe a bit gloomy over at uh, the county ground. Where they've got two loan signings who are banging goals in and they were in amongst the playoffs. They've then won one game in their last seven. They're in 16th um, and lost those two. Second half of the season could be grim for Swindon fans. Um, there is a little bit of League Two action uh, this weekend. Obviously, FA Cup uh, dominating the fixtures, but Mansfield have got a chance to go top. They host Crew, but Crew are in sixth place. So that won't be an easy fixture. And fourth place, Barrow, uh, they host Tranmere. So again, they'll be looking to uh, catch up those lost points at, against Wrexham uh, from last weekend. Just a quick look ahead to the FA Cup fixtures. There's a few stand-up ties. So if you uh, fancy a bit of Thursday night football tonight, you've got Palace versus Everton. Uh, but two big ties this weekend. Arsenal host Liverpool uh, in a big all-Premier League clash. And you've got the big uh, time-weird derby, uh, Sunderland versus Newcastle as well, which should be an absolute cracker. And one Eddie Howe cannot lose, I would suggest. We'll finish up as we always do uh, with Yeovil. Laura, if I can just bring you in, just to talk about how Yeovil have fared over the festive period uh, and what the outlook is for the next couple of games. Yeah, very good. Back-to-back wins over Christmas. Um, we went to Eastbourne on the 23rd, beat them 1-0. Not, a, not an easy place to go. They're one of the only full-time teams in the league. Um, one of the furthest away games as well. Not nice on Christmas Eve's Eve. And then on Boxing Day, we played Taunton and absolutely tore them a new one. And Taunton aren't the worst team I've seen at Hewish Park this season, but that performance was like EFL standard, absolute minimum League Two. Um, 4-1 we won, should have been 4-0, probably could have been 6-7. And uh, the return fixture that was supposed to happen on New Year's Eve got cancelled because of Taunton's waterlogged pitch. So uh, I look forward to that one next week. we got Bath on Saturday, another local-ish derby. Should be a good crowd at Hewish Park. But we went through a bit of a sticky patch at the sort of mid November, early December, but I think we've um I think we've turned a corner and we're looking very, very good again. Um 
player-wise, Jordan Maguire-Drew's gone to Barnett and Josh Staunton has gone to Boreham Wood. And I think it talks absolute volumes of the quality at YTFC at the moment that two players that cannot get in our team have gone to teams in the league above and will play for them. And certainly with Jordan Maguire-Drew going to Barnett, they're second or third, I think, in um, in the conference. So just shows how good we are. Um, we've also brought in a couple of players from Taunton as well, Jay Falston and Dylan Morgan, who's just been announced today, I think, an attacking midfielder. So exciting times at Yeovil. And uh, yeah, obviously we'll report back on Monday after the Bath game, but I'm expecting another three points, albeit against a difficult side who are in third in the league at the moment. But hopefully it's going to be a procession now towards April and uh, winning the league and getting back up to the National League and a step closer back to the EFL where we really do belong. Good stuff. Yeah, really looking forward to uh, the second half of the season with the Glovers. Um, hopefully, say secure the uh the title and get back up to the national league i went along and watched them against taunton at home and they were absolutely majestic some of those players are playing at a standard at least two levels below what they could be uh playing at i do fancy but yeah um just one final bit boys before we finish tomo you mentioned off air we just spoke about the newcastle sunderland game um sunderland have just come out and issued a statement say that there was a serious error in judgment was made after a bar inside the stadium was redecorated for away fans for Newcastle's. There's a big sign up on a bar saying "Away the lads." <laughs> Sunderland have removed the signage from the bar and uh, yeah, apologise for a serious error in judgment. So yeah, bit of an odd one that to uh, try and make Newcastle fans feel welcome. Uh, it's just a big party. that is a massive game, by the way. Just just for Eddie Howe's future as well, because if they go and lose that, um, then you can see the pressure really building amongst the fan base because obviously that's a massive game up there. Um, but yeah, completely unforgivable from the Black Cats with that. They should be sacking them. <laughs> Hang on, I know we're running out of time here, and apologies if anyone's getting bored stiff, but what what were the Black Cats thinking here then? So they've read, I saw the picture, I assumed that it was like a tradesman Newcastle fan that had gone in and just done it as a laugh. Have they actively sought out to create a bar in Newcastle colours within the Stadium of Light? Yeah. yeah, so so Sunderland have apologised for a serious error of judgment after a bar at the new at the stadium and light was redecorated with Newcastle slogans. The Black Cats bar to be used by away fans was furnished with the signage for Saturday's FA Cup third round tie. Uh, pictures including a signed emblazoned with "Keep the Black and White Flag Flying High" has circulated, uh, and they've written "Away the Lads" in black and white on the bar as well. An error in judgment. The only, the only well, thing, you know, that is, you know, that is thing, it's your man on the documentary who was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only thing he I can, on. yeah, the only thing I can think here is that they're they're worried that the bar's going to get smashed up or something if it's in Sunderland colours, so they've tried to make it feel like a Newcastle bar, which is like unheard of and probably ridiculous. But that's the only justification I can give that someone might have thought that those fans might smash up the place if it's not in Newcastle colour. I don't know. Can I, can I just say, they put a sign up in that bar amongst other ones saying, cheer up Peter Reid, which is a reference to a chant sung by Magpie fans about the former Sunderland manager. So there's there's errors in judgment. So they're, they're, they're even, they're even bringing on songs against their old employees. <laughs> Cheer up Peter Reid at the Stadium of Light. Peter Reid was a fantastic manager for Sunderland. Uh, yeah. Wasn't he in charge when they had the old Kevin Phillips and Niall Quinn up front and got promoted back in the early 2000s? Yeah, I mean, was, uh... cheer up Peter Reid. How are the lads? Keep the black and white flag flaming. I, I mean, 
You are an embarrassment, Sunderland, and you're an embarrassment, Sam Carney. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> there, um, the former Sunderland striker Marco Gabbiadini's come out and described it as embarrassing and said it would be mentioned in 50 years' time, which might be a slight overreaction from Marco, but uh, yeah. No, I think Marco's bang on. Right, boys, that's all we got time for. We'll wrap up there. Pleasure to be back. Uh, we'll be back on Monday where we will review all of the key FA Cup uh, action, hopefully have some upsets in there uh, and look at all the main transfer stories that are out there as the January transfer window hots up. But, boys, have a great weekend. Speak to you soon. Cheers, boys. One, two, three.